This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, welcome back, folks. We took a little break, uh, some news and all, but we're going to be talking about gardening all things related to gardening. I mean, it can be anything vaguely related to gardening, because if I don't know it, I'll say it. And if it's something that I'm not supposed to know, I'll try to refer to somebody who does. But in other words, I'm not a know-it-all. Um, retired horticulture professor, blah, 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 blah. But I'm also just a mediocre garden gardener. I did bring some stuff to talk about my little weekly show and tell. You know, I know it's radio, but you have to just sort of have a uh, close your eyes and see or smell some of these things. And we're going to chat about some of those, a native plant, a got an heirloom uh, flower. I've got a wildflower. I've got something you can yeah, – so I've got a dinosaur. I found a, a dinosaur in my yard. It's a little – looks like a little orange and black crocodile, I guess. We're going to talk about all that kind of stuff. But this program is about you. What's on your mind? What have you got questions about or want to share? Uh, it's real easy. I'm not going to try to sell you anything. I'm not a know-it-all. Uh, but after 40-something years, I think I can figure stuff out. So give us a call. It's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. And by the way, when you call in, our phone greeter is Kevin Farrell, one of the top producers here at MPB. And Java, you know, between you and Kevin and all the other folks, y'all got some stuff going on here. Yeah, we try. We try to give the people what they want. Well, one of the things that you scooped me on, a couple of years ago, I kept interviewing this guy named Chris, uh, Chris Smith. He's from England, northern England, Lancashire, Preston, as a matter of fact. I know his folks and his brother have never met him. Um, I see him at flower shows over in England and all that. But he moved to North Carolina and decided to research the people's vegetable he wrote a book about okra. It's a complete thing. It's not about growing okra. It's got about growing okra. It's not about the many, many varieties. He's got those. It's not about the weird, the folklore, the history. He's got all that stuff. But it's about ways you can use it. And it's an incredible book about growing different varieties, history, culture. And it's an interesting read. Um, but it also has unbelievable recipes for you know making coffee out of the seeds and all that kind of stuff, eating the flowers. Anyway, he's got a book. It's called The Whole Okra, and uh, he was interviewed. The reason I'm bringing this up, he was on Deep South Dining. What was that? That was Monday, right? Yeah, just this Monday. And, uh, folks, if you want to hear this interview, they did a whole lot better job than I can because I just, you know, sort of shoot the breeze a little bit for a few minutes. They really got into it, Chris. It's a stem-to-stem celebration of the whole okra. Go to mpbonline.org, uh, go to radio, and uh, tune into the podcast of the – Deep South Dining. Yeah, Deep South the Dining. Um, it was, you know, the one we did this week, so yeah. it should be at the top. Um, and it was a whole hour on okra because he was giving a talk at Delta State, which is known as the Fighting the Okra. The Fighting Okra, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which I didn't see. I had not known he was there. I'd have driven up and met him, you know, mask and all, of course. Well, it was over the Zoom anyway, so. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> well, um, I would like to mention one other thing. Uh, there's a... Uh, Kevin Farrell, who's our phone greeter today, he just put together a little thing, a little four-minute clip on the history of MPB radio. And uh, you can listen to that if you go to MPBonline.com. 
mpbonline.org, uh, mpbonline.org. Scroll down to where it says, uh, what, 50th or something like that? Celebrating the 50th anniversary, yes. Yeah, and then click on that, and it's got a thing about the history radio that Kevin Farrell put together. It's got quite a, uh, it's interesting, it's just four minutes, but that's the kind of stuff you can do when you're uh, just sitting around trying to avoid watching the weird stuff on TV. Anyway, it's uh, all about gardening today, and we're going to start out uh, down in South Mississippi, down in Purvis. Good morning, is it? Oh, Marie. Hey, Marie, how are you? Very good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, in one of my trips, I saw a sign on the side of the road that said, English ivy kills trees. Mm-hmm. Um, is it true? Nope. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I I live in England part of the time for the past 10, 11 years, and I've been going over there since the since the 90s, okay, all the time. You see English ivy that's 200 years old in trees that are 300 years old. It's not killing them at all. There's a lot of horticulture myths out there that are based on a small little bit of stuff taken out of context. And um, English ivy is not likely to smother a tree. And it grows up it, it hangs in, it grows well in the shade. And if there's a problem on the tree trunk, it may hide it. It can harbor insects and things like that. But this, those kind of problems, there's nothing you can do about it. So anyway, English ivy kills trees? No, it does not. In rare instances, it might, just like in rare instances, uh, rats can chew your toes off, but it's not likely to happen. So, Okay, what kills trees? Because I want to kill two trees that are close <laughs> to my house. Well, a couple of things. You know, you can take a hatchet or a saw. You know, if you scratch the bark on a shrub, on a bush, right up under the bark is bright green. Well, that's that that's that, that very shallow layer of bright green. That's where trees transport all their stuff up and down. And if you were to cut through the trunk down into the wood itself, you know, we're talking about an inch or so, all the way around, then what they'll do is they'll cut the roots off from the top, and the roots will end up dying, the top will die. It's called girdling. It's sort of like if you hit a little small tree with a string trim or a lawnmower. A big tree, you might it might take a hatchet or a saw or something. But cut through the bark all the way around, about an inch or so deep, and and uh, and that'll that'll it'll it'll kill the roots. Well, thank you so much, Felder. Have a good day. Okay. Th- oh, Marie, let me throw this out. The people say English ivy kill trees. There's an agenda behind there. They're saying it's an invasive, exotic plant that shouldn't be out in that we shouldn't be planting. So that's a big group of a uh, small group of folks, very shrill a little bit. In some cases, they, they, they've got a real good point. But in general, their agenda is we don't want invasive exotic plants in our country. And, okay. you know, that, so I'm just saying, no. All right. Thank you, Felder. Appreciate it. Thank you. Really not trying to bust anybody's balloon on that, but uh, there are a lot of people with agendas out there. And most of the time, there's a grain of truth in what they say, a grain of truth. Uh, is it earth-shattering? Probably not. We do have problems with native plants taking over the garden, serious problems. We have problems with, with, with uh, plants from overseas taking over the gardens, the wildlife, and the, the woods. There's some problems out there, but there's you know, grass and straws on stuff. Anyway, let's go over to Waterloo, Alabama, um, and talk to Kenneth. Hey, Kenneth, good morning. Good morning, sir. What's up, man? I need uh, about three questions answered. Uh, when can I transplant my pink naked ladies? And does uh, magnolia leaves make good mulch? 
And if I can trim a limb that's hanging over my neighbor's fence to keep uh, him from complaining about the leaves falling over there, <laughs> is that going to hurt the tree? No, let me answer them backwards questions. If you're going to cut something off, whether it's a branch off a limb or a limb off a trunk, wherever you cut and uh, whatever you cut off, cut it off right where it starts to grow. Don't leave a stub. See, so it's like if you want to take your thumb off, take it off at that first knuckle, not way out on the end. So in other words, just whatever you want to cut, if it's the limb or a branch, whatever, wherever that starts growing, just cut cut it off right there. Don't leave a stub. It won't hurt the tree at all. Um, second of all, the magnolia tr- leaves do make a good mulch because they, they, you know, they smother everything. They're waxy. They take a long time to break down. They're flat. They, they layer themselves. They make a good mulch. Um, not going to do much for your dirt because it takes a long time to break down. You know, bark and other stuff like that will decompose and feed the soil. Magnolia leaves tend to stack up and flatten out and last a long time, but they make a good mulch. And uh, the naked ladies, mine are already starting to poke up. So I don't, you know, and yours may be too. If you know where they are, this would be a good time to, if you're going to move them, dig the hole where they're going first because they've already got good, if they, if they don't have leaves coming up already, they're going to already have roots because I I'd actually cut through some last week when I was doing a, a new garden bed. Dig them up and immediately replant them and water them because they're going to be putting, they've already got roots coming out. Oh, yeah. These are already up and bushy. They uh, bloom the third week in September. Yeah. Now, are these, uh, these are the pink ones, right, or the red ones? Uh, well, they're sort of red and pink looking, you know. Okay, well, the reason I'm saying the ones that bloom in September are usually the kind of low ones, the red ones. There's some pink ones. There's some yellow ones. A lot of people call them spider lilies. The ones that I call naked ladies, and these are folk names, are the ones that bloom in June and July. They're taller and great big pink things. But anyway, uh, the the regular spider lilies, the ones you're talking about, they're already up. If you're going to move them, again, try not to divide them too much. Have the hole ready for them so you can put them right in, water them in, and they shouldn't skip a beat. Well, thank you, sir. Good luck, because. Timothy. Yes, yeah, it ain't it's not going to be that easy. The best time, if you want to know the best time, is mark where they are, and in the spring when the leaves die down, you know, they're sort of dormant then, they won't even know they've been moved. Or when they get through blooming, immediately when they're through blooming, move them then because you know where they are, and they don't have roots growing. But main thing is, if you're going to do it this this winter, let's go ahead and get it done. Yeah, okay, but uh, they're in clusters, uh, like you say, look like monkey grass growing yeah, up. A little where... stri- yeah, a little stripe of monkey grass. The, the, yep. the ideal time would have been when they were blooming before they started growing roots because the longer they're out of the ground right now, it's going to sort of weaken them. It may, it may set them back a little bit, but it shouldn't be a big deal if you go ahead and do it soon. All righty. And uh, like I said, you know, these uh, they're in clusters, and you cannot separate them. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you're going to dig them up and divide them, again, the the shorter time they're out of the ground right now, because they got roots on them, the better. Yeah. So dig them up, pull them apart, immediately replant them, and water them in. Well, thank you, sir. Okay, and uh, and uh, does your neighbor know you're going to cut this branch off? Uh, no, and I really don't care. <laughs> well, you're going to care if, if, you, if you screw it up and break his fence with the limb. Well, the trouble of it is, uh, the fence is on the property line in, uh, in the state of Alabama. Uh, what's uh, on the property line is half mine, half his. Okay, so this, uh, I'm just saying, be careful. Don't hurt yourself. Oh, ain't no problem. Okay, but you got to get along with him. I'm just saying. Uh, not really, but anyway. <laughs>
Appreciate your call, man. Thank you, get, sir. Get, get outside and take a nice walk around. Oh, I've already done that this morning. <laughs> okay. Appreciate it, Kenneth. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. Okay. Oh, uh, I'm not sure. Which, oh, yeah, we're going to take a real short break. we got a couple of folks on the line. We're going to get right to you, take a little short break. I said I found a dinosaur, an alligator, a little crocodile in my garden. I was looking at some azaleas, see if they got flower buds. And they've already got flower buds for next spring, so don't prune your azalea. Every cut you make on azalea, there goes next year's flowers. You can neaten them up, but just don't do hard pruning. While I was at it, I found this little thing. About a quarter of an inch long, black with orange on it. It looks like a it looks like a crocodile. It happens to be the larvae of ladybugs, lady beetles, ladybirds. It's a beetle. This larvae eats aphids like chocolate cake. Looks like a dinosaur, a little black and orange thing. Larvae of a ladybug. Mm-mm. You gotta slow down and pay attention, folks. Anyway, we're gonna be right back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting right after this. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. All righty, folks, welcome back. Horticulture's fell to rushing. It's been happening in North Mississippi, South Alabama, Lower Tennessee, North uh, Arkansas, but Central Mississippi, the tree colors have really hit this week. I mean, just all of a sudden, the ginkgos, beautiful yellow ginkgos, the rich red dogwoods, and the, the multicolored sweet gums. The, my sumac is just stunning right now. And it happens every year. The green is out there all the time. The chlorophyll is sort of like a thug. It covers up everything. But when the chlorophyll starts getting, when the leaves seal off in the fall, days get shorter, chlorophyll dries up, then you start seeing these underlining uh, other things, the anthocyanins and the, all those kind of colors. So anyway, these colors have been there all year. They've just been hidden by old chlorophyll. Anyway, let's go to Meridian and talk with Aaron. Hey, Aaron, you got you got uh, teaching kids about gardening stuff again? Oh, yeah, we are. We've got some more questions for you today, buddy. Okay, what's up? All right, well, I've got Nathan here, and he's got a question about some carrots in his brother's garden. I'm going to okay. put him on with you right now. Hey, Nathan, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? So far, so good. What, what's up with the carrots? Uh, we've been looking at them, trying to figure out if they're ripe or not. Uh-huh. So I wanted to know if you could tell if they're ripe by the size of like the green the green stem. That's a real good question. As a matter of fact, I asked myself that because you know I, I planted carrots. First of all, I spent more on a packet of carrot seeds than I eat carrots all year. But it's fun to grow and they're pretty. But uh, here's the deal: when I planted my carrots, they came up real thick, and I went out, Aaron, and I pulled up most of them, so each one that was left had about an inch or so apart. If they grow real close together, it's sort of like having too many people in the elevator. You know, you can't breathe. So I thinned mine out to where they got an inch or so apart. And what I do is I take my finger and I just sort of pull, scratch the dirt around the base and look at the size of the carrot itself, the root. Uh, the size of the, the top, uh, the, the more top, 
the more green stuff sending back down, the bigger the root. And the longer you can leave that, the bigger the carrot gets because it's just, it's just a root. So the main thing is try not to pull them up too early. I just scratch the dirt around the base and see what, what the shoulder, how, how big the carrot's looking just at the very top of it. But the, the longer you leave it, the bigger the root's going to be. Yes, sir. Thank you. All righty. Hey, appreciate your call. Thank you. And, yes, sir. Aaron, that's a good question. Need to tell them about thinning the plants out, though. Just same thing with turnips. Turnips and beets and carrots. If they're too close, they just crowd each other out. Got to thin them out. Uh, anyway, let's slide up to Clinton, Mississippi. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning. How are you? What's uh, I always enjoy your program. Appreciate it. I want to talk about this uh, crepe myrtle problem we've got, the disease or uh, whatever it is, insects and uh, yeah. alternatives with that. Yeah, it's uh, it's called crepe. Well, first of all, crepe myrtles have always had aphids and spider mice and things that suck sap and the, and it drips down and it gets on the leaves and turns them black. That's been gardenias. That's been a real real common. But this new thing, this new insect is called crepe myrtle bark scale. They look like little tiny white dots. You can rub them, but they're I mean they're really really small individually, but they 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 crust themselves on twigs and limbs and in the crotches of the, of the branches. And what they do is they multiply rapidly. They suck a lot of sap out, and the undissolved sap has got uh, natural plant sugar, sort of like crepe myrtle version of maple syrup. Their excrement has got a little undigested plant sap in it, and this black mold grows on that. So the mold isn't the problem. The insect sucking sap out and dripping sugary stuff on the plant is the problem. So uh, anyway, it's a serious problem. It showed up uh, just a few years ago. It is devastating the crepe myrtles in a lot of places. Tulsa, Oklahoma, second largest collection of crepe myrtles in the country, and they're just being devastated by it. Crepe Myrtle Society of America in Texas, Texas A&M, University of Georgia, everybody I've talked to, Mississippi State, we all agree there's only two things you can do, only two things, regardless what else you hear, the experts. One is ignore it. It's not going to kill the tree. It's just going to make them look really, really bad. But if you can live with it, that's the easiest approach. Uh, second approach is there is an insecticide that you mix with water that you pour around the roots. It's spraying the tree does not help at all. Don't let anybody tell you different. Soaking this insecticide into the ground around the roots in the spring, March, April, May, early June. That's the only time it's really effective, later or earlier. So springtime, soil drench. Here's the problem. That soil drench poisons the tree, and whatever bites the tree or bites what bit the tree is going to die. They're called neonicotinoids. They've been banned in Europe. So there is a soil drench that if you put around the trees with water in the spring, it'll control this for a year or maybe two, but they'll be back. And the, the third, there's one alternative, replace the trees with something else. Nobody wants to hear that. I didn't want to hear it in my own yard, but I pull some up. I'm starting to replace mine with other plants because there's no long-term control for crepe myrtle bark scale. There is none. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Hey, if you want to read a little bit more information, see pictures of it and also a list of alternatives, if you go to my blog, Felder Rushing blog, just Google that. It'll come right up. I've got at the very top uh, one of the, the main things is called uh, Requiem for Crepe Myrtles, and it has pictures. It has all the stuff you can do, uh, what it looks like, and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's Felder Rushing blog, and just do Crepe Myrtle scale or whatever it'll come up 
Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. Your Sorry if I'm sounding negative. I'm trying to, to, to not be negative or positive, but just put a baseline of facts out there and let people make their own minds up. Facts are the key. Thank you so much. Okay. Appreciate it. All right, it got a little cheery talk, talk coming up in a few minutes, but uh, here, we talk about gardening here. One thing before we get to the next caller, I showed Java this plant called it's a flower off a snapdragon. And snapdragon, you put them out, they, they grow over the, up north, they grow over the summer, and the south, they grow over the winter. But they, they're little spiky things, all these flowers. And a lot of people, grown up, don't know why they're called snapdragons. But they, you can see them, so you can see them now. Yeah. So what you do is you is you play, take a flower off, and behind the flower where it was attached to the stem, just grab it and then pinch it, and the flower opens and closes, snaps like a little dragon. Woo! Now, see, the only people who would know that is somebody who would take the flower off. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can do it while it's still on the plant. Oh, okay, okay. You have to grab it behind the flower next to the stem and on either side, uh, sort of like making a, a puppet uh, open its mouth. <laughs> but they look like they got little teeth in there, look just like little dragon things, snapdragons. Hey, if you don't hear it from here you and you don't hear it from Grandma or Auntie, where are you going to hear this stuff? Okay, who we got next here? Uh, is it Gene and Saika? Gene, good morning, sir. How, oh, good morning. Hey. Uh, long time listener of your show. Maybe while I was living in Florida, I used to listen to you on the computer. Wow. Well, what's up, man? Welcome. Uh, look, uh, I just wanted a clarification of something I heard you say at the beginning of the show about where the leaves are changing. About the leaves are what? Changing it, right. Uh, where? My wife's from New York, from New York City, uh-huh. and always complains about the leaves but there's everything's fine down here and i would love to take her up this weekend just from a drop wait 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 uh, but I, I i'm not following in you want to take me to new york let's go i get off at 10 no, 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 my wife is from new york <laughs> and so what she talking about how pretty the fall colors are up there yes and how much she misses them. Yeah. We, part of the reason, the further north you go, the more deciduous trees you have. Um, and, the, and also you have maples and things like that. Down here we have more, uh, more evergreen, the pines and all like that. But before we planted pines, there was a huge diversity of plants. The sweet gums, the, the black gum, the dogwoods are just brilliant red right now. Sumac. So if you get up in the hills, get away from where farmers have been cutting stuff down for a long time. In the hills, there's a lot more diversity out there than around pine tree plantations. It's not as pretty here. It's not as bright. It's not as showy. So, but you know, you're talking about like going up the trace. Yeah, the, you know, along the trace and especially along the edge of the woods. But uh, you know, if you get off the trace and just drive along the country roads, you know, where where foresters have been at work. And where farmers have been at work, they cut down the native trees, planted other stuff. And before native trees could come back, they cut them down. So they kept, and every time they re, reforested an area, less diversity kept coming back. So you have to get out in the, in the hills where they haven't, you know, keep cutting stuff down and planting other stuff. And there's a good bit of, not as pretty as up in Vermont, but it's, it's pretty anyway. It's just scattered. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get around the house. Uh, she's only been out of the house maybe five or six times since uh, March. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, y'all take take a drive out and take a drive out in the country. And uh, where, uh, you see, you're in you're in where Osaka. We're in Osaka, yeah. I'm okay. I'm at the 
south edge of Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if if you drive up in the Greene County, again, along some, in the hills, you'll see a pretty good bit of stuff. The sumac is coming. It, when the sumac starts uh, blooming down close to the coast, it's stunning. So, anyway, appreciate your call, man. Tell her, tell her we said hey. Okay, I will, and uh, thank you again for your show. Hey, thanks, thanks for being part of it, Gene. Okay, now we went from down close to the coast. Let's go all up to the icebox to Corinth. Hey, Mike, how are you, sir? Good morning. How the, are you today? Fine. Have the fall colors already pretty well passed up there? Yeah, uh, just this last week we had some rain, and we lost a lot of leaves. Yeah, week. yeah. Oh what's, oh, what's going on? Uh, this time of the year, uh, particularly this year, I've noticed uh, I cut my lawn fairly close, and some areas, particularly the wetter part of the yard, uh, I've noticed the grass is gone, and it, it looks sort of like uh, really tiny anthills. But anyway, it's turned it almost to mud when it rains. Yeah, I was, I was just curious what that is. Those little ant hills, we're talking about a, a half inch or less, little small piles of stuff, right? Uh, hardly even noticed. Yeah, those are the that's the little uh, uh, mounds where earthworms came up. Worms come up at night, and when it's wet, they come up to the surface. When they dig down deep, they leave these little 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 uh, mounds of of dirt, sort of like miniature crawdad chimneys. If you know what I'm, you know, remember crawdads. Okay. And uh, matter of fact, people at golf courses have to go out in the morning before golfers get there. They cut their 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 putting greens so close, they have to get out and they have to mow. The earthworm castings because it's taller than the grass. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what, what's happening? You got worms out there. They're coming up to breathe, you know, to get a little air. And when they go back down, they kick the mud out and they leave a little chimney behind them. I see. It's, it's funny you mention that. My one of my son-in-laws uh, is the manager of a golf course in Richland uh, at the Old Reunion. Our Reunion oh yeah, golf yeah, yeah. But uh, I didn't know that. I, 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 ask, I ask him. Ask him if he's ever had to mow earthworm castings. Okay. <laughs> hey, there, hey, here's something else you might want to try. You got kids by any chance, or kids in the neighborhood? Uh, some kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. You can get a stick, like a broomstick, and cut notches about a half inch apart up and down it. And hammer it into the ground in that wet area. Hammer it down to the ground, uh, 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 five or six inches. Take another stick and rub it up and down. You know, brr, 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 you know, rubbing the other stick on those things, and worms will come up out of the ground like night of the living dead. I've heard you talk about it. Well, so. when the ground is moist, where you see those castings, that means they're ready. All you got to do is give them a call. It's, <laughs> it's called worm grunting. Right. I, yeah, I've heard you talk about that before. Yeah, have fun okay. with it, man. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information. All righty. Nothing to it. And folks, we're going to take a little bit of a break. I like to break things up with a, a tune. You know, the main reason is so I can get my breath, and I'll sort of take this etch-a-sketch and turn it upside down and get a good, good shaking. A lot of garden experts take horticulture more seriously than gardening. I'm a horticulturist, and I take gardening more seriously than horticulture. If you're trying to make a, a living selling stuff, growing stuff, producing things, I can work with you because it's all about getting stuff done and, and getting it out and making a living. But if you're just knocking around the yard, we're going to pass a lot of the stupid horticulture rules, and we're going to have fun. And that's what you're into 
fine. If you want to get in more detail, I will make your eyes bleed with it. But let's take a little short break. It's a beautiful day outside. We're going to come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Me and Java and all the other folks here. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think "Eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere okie dokie folks welcome back yes we are sunshine we are start we are made out of solar radiation through plants, through the miracle of photosynthesis and eating all that stuff. And speaking of edibles, I have a, uh, I brought in a jalapeno I grew. I leave my jalapenos on the vine until they go from green to red. They're pretty. They look sort of like pimentos, but uh, pimientos. But a jalapenos will turn red, and they actually have more flavor. If you leave them on until they get really ripe and mature, they they still have the, the, the pungency, the pink, pink, pink the, the the heat. But they have more of a sweet flavor to it. Um, anyway, the edible plant of the week happens to be also the wildflower of the week. It's not native to North America, but it is a naturalized wildflower. It is a lawn weed. People call it a weed in their lawn. But mine just started blooming. It's called henbit. Henbit is an annual. comes up in the fall, dies in the spring. Um, and it has uh, stems with 
paired leaves, two leaves and then a stem and two leaves and a stem. And at every cluster of leaves, they got these beautiful little lavender purple flowers. They look just like orchids. They look like snapdragons, tiny, tiny little flowers. And uh, it's bees stick their whole beaks in there. Uh, this is a plant that some people call a weed, but the bees and the butterflies and the other pollinators all winter long, every warm day, you'll have bees working these flowers. Same thing with clover. Uh, but it's a beautiful little plant called henbit. Uh, the stems are square. You can do it, you know, take it like that because it's in the same family as mint. All parts of henbit are edible. Sort of tastes like um, not quite sweet. Uh, reminds me of sweet celery. But a henbit, beautiful little pollinator plant, winter wildflower, not going to kill your grass. Um, pretty thing. Pollinators love it. And when you're tired of looking at it, you can eat it. I love that sort of approach. Anyway, we've got some lines open. If you want to give us a call, it's toll-free, one eight seven seven. MPB ring. Be glad to talk with you about anything related to gardening. I would like to also mention that uh, Kevin Farrell, the producer up here, just put together a really nice little four-minute piece on the history of MPB radio, uh, 50th anniversary. Um, And if you want to to listen to that or the podcast of this program or Deep South Dining, where it spent a whole hour talking to Chris Smith, who is the okra king of America, back home in Lancashire, England, he'd be called Lord Ladyfingers because they call okra ladyfingers over there. Uh, Bindi, if you like a, a South South Asian, uh, Bangladeshi, Indian type food, Bindi. But uh, anyway, wonderful book called The Whole Okra. You can get it online. And uh, if you can listen to the interview, he's a fun guy funny guy too go to mpbonline.org you can hear the radio uh, podcast or on the main page scroll down to 50th anniversary mpb what it's called and uh and listen to the history of mpb radio uh kevin did a masterful job now Feldo, before we get to the we waiting on some calls um, uh-huh. phone lines are open um i got a question for you okay all right, so in the front of my house, all the leaves are falling, and I'm going to get them up this um, this weekend. Mm-hmm. And my plan, I don't know how you're going to feel about it. I want to <laughs> go down to the big box store, and mm-hmm. I want to go get something colorful to put in my like my bed right in the front of my house. Right in front of your house. That'll, I guess, grow now or last for a little while. Yeah, you want like flowers, you want something that's going to be there for years and years and years. Um, something with some color, either way. Okay. Um, the the plant that I go to, my first go-to plant is boring to a lot of horticulturists and older gardeners because it's everywhere. And the reason it's everywhere because it won't die. It grows in cemeteries. It has nice clusters of white flowers in spring. It's got nice feathery leaves, ferny leaves. Closer to the red beards in the wintertime, and the leaves turn red. It's called Nandina. Nandina, okay. N-A-N-D-I-N-A. Now, you put one Nandina, dig a nice hole. If you don't feel a little creepy about it, it ain't big enough. <laughs> Loosen up the roots of the Nandina. Stir that stuff into your dirt. Put it in the ground, water it one time, and it will be there long after the house is gone. But the nice part about it, it's a nice little-looking look, plant. Then you can start tucking other stuff around it. A little, you know, take 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 your. How old is your son? Your oldest son? Uh, he's eight. Eight. Take him to a garden center. We'll talk about that later. And let him get five bulbs. They'll cost you about maybe a dollar a piece. 
Okay. And, and I give the names of some. He could put in there, and they will come up, and they will bloom, and they'll come back year after year after year. But and, the Nadina is my yeah, base. Yeah, the, the bulbs come and go. Next year, the you know, daylily comes and goes. All this stuff comes and goes, but the Nandina will always be there. It's, okay. And it's a go-to plant. And it, it, horticulturists can't grow it because they try too hard. You know, this is a cemetery. Dead people can grow this thing in a cemetery. <laughs> well, and that's it's, what I need. And it's pretty. So I would start with that. All righty, folks. Got uh, three lines open. You want to give us a call, one eight seven seven mpb ring But we're going to slide up to New Albany and talk with Tam. Uh, Tom. Tom, is it New Albany or New Albany? New Albany. There we go. Like New yeah. Orleans. I hope you're having a happy uh, Friday the 13th. So far, so far, not too bad. I walked, you know, so I'm, I look at the trees when I walk under them. But what's going on today? Um, like smaller trees and medium-sized trees, you're trying to, you know, keep shaped up and whatnot. You get these little sprouts and the little limbs that come up on them. And I normally just take a pair of pruning shears and, you know, nip them back at the, at the trunk. Yeah. But then they keep reshooting. Yeah, not is much. There any sad or something to like put on that to say stop growing? No, nope. you know, no, nope. it ain't. It ain't. It's like it's like hair growing off your ears, man. Just kind of keep plucking them. Yeah. No, there, okay. there, there, there's you know the the if you cut it as flush as you can, mm-hmm. then you know that if you leave any kind of stub, it's more likely to 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 sprout back out. But if you cut it as fl- you know, you don't want to leave a a, a wide wound on it but cut it as flush as you can that'll get rid of most of those growing points right well that, that's i try to like i said nip it just as close as i can and mm-hmm. i remembered seeing you know like uh on cedars and stuff though old folks used to paint a little something on there and i didn't know what it was well it's, it, it's called pruning paint and it's a cosmetic thing it makes people think that you know what you're doing i, I taught i taught the tree surgery course at state cosmetic uh, pruning paints wound sealants whatever they call them Mostly cosmetic. It, you know, you can get a squirt can if you make you feel better. All righty. Well. <laughs> Pluck, think plucking hair out of your ear, man. That's all you got to do is keep plucking. Glad <laughs> you have a good one. Sorry, man. See ya. <laughs> ah, sorry, folks. Bad metaphors, bad similes. Um, while we're getting some some uh, new callers on the line, and uh, uh, Kevin Farrell, our other uh, producers, a phone greeter today. Let me talk about another heirloom plant that I got. A lot of people are familiar with this chrysanthemum called Country Girls or Clara Curtis. Clara Curtis is the real name. Folk name is Country Girls. It blooms this time of year. It's a sprawly plant. It's not invasive, but it sprawls. Uh, and it spreads a little bit. It's got flowers that will barely fit into a teacup, and they're lavender pink. Not quite purple, not quite pink. The somewhere in between. Big flowers. They always bloom in October, November. They are really durable plants. It's a special type of chrysanthemum. It's not your garden mums. It's not your cushion mums. It's not your florist mums. It's a it's a type of hybrid that was bred in the 1930s in a little nursery called Happy Valley in Landudno, Wales. The reason I know this because I've been to Landudno, Wales many times. Nice little seaside village. Um, but anyway, this guy developed Clara Curtis. That was his first one. But he also has several others. All sprawly, all tough, will not they? They will not fail. To, they cannot fail to bloom. Um, the more you prune them, the thicker they get, the less floppy they get. The reason I'm saying that because there are other ones besides the pink Clara Curtis. 
I've got one that's a, a double red. I've got one that's a, a rich, rusty orange, yellow ones, little button ones. I've got purple ones. There's there's probably a dozen or more different kinds of these out there. The reason you only see country girls is because that's the one that everybody started with, and they share it with each other. So I'd like to get some of these others. Oh, boy, they got great. They smell like dirty socks. <laughs> but other than that, they're awful pretty. I like to get these out there alongside country girls. But it's called Chrysanthemum rubellum. Chrysanthemum rubellum. If you Google Clara Curtis or country girls, you'll find out what I'm talking about. Now, let's talk to, um, can't see it. William calling from Fulton. Hey, William, what's up? Hey, fellas, this is. Um, I met you up in New Albany. You gave me some elephant ears. I just want you to know they're, uh, <laughs> they can hear everything around me. Now. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they they turn huge as soon as I got on the ground. But I got a tropical hibiscus and some mandavillas. Yeah. And uh, I wintered it the last time in the utility room with some grow lights and uh, put it out, and it didn't didn't bloom to the end of July. Yeah, you? yeah. So uh, it's got a lot. It, you know, it leafed out, got really big. How, how do I make it to where... I guess, how do, what's the way you win or something like that? Uh, first of all, you have to feel like you're being brutal, but the plant really doesn't care. It's like, you know, have you seen the way they, you know, shear, take a shaggy dog and shear it and the and it grows right back? If you yeah. cut these plants back to where they don't have a leaf left on them, first of all, you're not going to have all that mess to clean up because they're going to drop all those leaves and bring it in anyway. They're just going to drop them. So go ahead and cut the plant back with no leaves left on it. Bring it in, and they'll put out some scraggly stuff over the winter. But next spring, cut that back and put the plant back out, and the new stuff comes out will be used to the new growing conditions. So cut it to bring it in. That'll make it easier, neater. Um, And then prune that scraggly, thin, skinny stuff off that grew in your utility room. Cut it back and put it back out, and it'll put out new growth, and they'll think it's been out there all year long. Oh, it's beautiful, and it, I even named it Mary Soul. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. My wife's kind of jealous of it. So. Well, the, you know, there's a uh, weeping figs, hibiscus. Uh, there's quite a mandevilla, bougainvillea. These plants, I just you just prune them to bring them in, and prune them to put them back out, and that's as routine as it can be. What about fertilizer? Uh, not till next year. You know, these plants they grow all year, so when you bring them in, they're not happy. They're just trying to get through. So if you gave it some fertilizer in the summer or fall, it's got about as much, it's got enough energy to carry it over the winter. But it's trying to like hold its breath until spring. So uh, I would fertilize it at the beginning of an active growing season, which is spring. Maybe hit it again in the late summer, early fall, so it can build up as reserves. But prune it to bring it in and prune it to put it out. That's routine with me. I appreciate it. Good luck on it, man. Okay. Um,. Oxford, Cynthia. Hey, Cynthia, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. What, what's going on? Well, I've got a couple questions. They're related. Um, I'm in a new house, and the builder put in Bermuda grass in the backyard, and it slopes down to kind of a shady slope with oak trees down yeah. to a little creek. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking like he's thinking, he was thinking erosion control, but it's really hard to mow because it's such a steep slope. Yeah. And I wanted to um, maybe kill the grass, maybe just naturally by heaping some leaves and stuff on it this fall and then planting some shrubs and ground cover instead. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to be more natural, low-maintenance, and, like, pollinator-friendly. Yeah. Um, but I'm also worried about 
snakes and ticks and things like that. Well, the so, snakes and ticks, you know, just stay out of it. You know, just don't go. You know, once the, I get it planned. Yeah, the, the snakes are there eating stuff that you'd rather have the snakes than. Okay, and as long as long as you make a lot of noise and you know don't you know just go jump in them like a pile of leaves, they're not going to bother you. So don't worry about that. And the ticks are going to be climbing up on stuff. Just try not to brush through it. But anyway, we've got a couple of things. First of all, is the grass okay right now? Well, it's getting kind of long and shaggy. Oh, and oh I've just yeah, but but you got plenty of it though, right? Oh yeah. Okay. This, this is important because when it rains, that grass is matted. It slows the water down, which is how you prevent erosion. You get rid of the grass, okay. and it's until you get something else growing there or a good thick mulch. And by the way, use shredded mulch because shredded mulch mats together instead of washing down like chip mulch. Okay. So shredded mulch, um, and also if you could put an occasional little small. I'm going to call it a ditch, but it's really called a, sw- a swale, a little mm-hmm. low area, and put that stuff on the high side of it. You know, dig a little little ditch, a little small trench, throw that dirt on the uphill side. That will sort of give a terrace effect, and it'll it'll help slow the water down. And wherever the, the slope is the, the steepest, wherever the most erosion is, go ahead and start getting you some rocks or stuff like that and make you a little, what looks like a little creek of rocks when it rains it it channels the water when it doesn't rain it looks like it would and okay. it's, it's a little trouble but if you'll do that on the uphill side of your trees then you're not gonna have all the water blowing all those leaves and you know and you can get ground cover started better so in other words put okay. something between the top of the slope and the bottom of the slope so the open air so that water has a way to slow down and channel to one side or another it's a little right. trouble, but it really does work. And when it comes to ground covers, they, we've got quite a few. Let the leaves fall. Leave them in place. But you need to put something on the uphill side. Keep the water from flooding down and washing them away. Okay. Now, you know, even a roll of monkey wrench, some, some pressure-treated wood, you could, st- you could terrace it with, with, with wood or rocks or something, but anything to slow that water down before it hits the woods. Okay, great. And do you have a favorite technique for shredding the leaves? Yeah, just leave them on the ground. Just let them shred themselves. Yeah, well, right okay. around. Look out in the woods. See what happens out there. Nothing. But okay. uh, to answer, Thanks. if you wanted to shred them, just run the lawnmower over them. Lawnmower. Okay. Great. I'm going to give it a try. Okay. Thank you. Good luck on it. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Ooh. Mobile. Gene. Hey, Gene, what's going on? Hello. Hello. Yes, sir. I have called you originally about bananas, but you got two other questions last week. I get through with bananas real quick. Uh, I got someone saying, "How long before I need to bring them in? How cold does it get before I have to bring them in?" What the bananas? Yeah. Who brings a banana in? I'm talking about the ripe one. Oh, oh, the. <laughs> you talking about the? You talking about the? You talking about the fruits, not the plant? Man, bananas, man, the monkeys. We were like <laughs> the longer you leave them out there. The riper they're going to get, you know. How cold, how cold will it go down to? Oh, um, fr- freezing. Banana, okay. banana, you know, a frost might, da- you know, slow them down and might damage them a little bit. But you know, you're you're in Mobile. You yeah. might you might not have to bring them in at all sometimes. But if they're predicting a, a hard frost or a freeze, then bring them right. in then. All right. One other question. You mentioned spider lilies. I got the bright idea several years ago. 
of getting to digging a bunch of them up and put them in some uh, old wash tubs. I had number three wash tubs. Yeah. I got one or two blooms every year, so I'm going to take them out of there so I'm not blooming them. So can I just take them out now, you know, or any time and plant them? You, you could, but uh, like a, the first caller uh, who asked about this, they've already got good bit of roots on them. They've already got leaves up there, so they're right. they're 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 going gangbusters. So right. it's not the best time. The worst time is in the, the winter or the spring when they're making their flower bud. They make their flower bud for the fall, the last thing in the winter or spring, just uh-huh. like a daffodil. So the quicker you get, if you want to do it, this year, the quicker you get to it, the better. But right. again, where you're going to put them, dig it up first so you can pull them out, pull them apart, throw them in, water them, and walk away instead of them hanging around waiting for you to get the dirt dug. We want to keep those roots from drying out if you can. You don't do it now, then, no way. You know, if if you know if you could leave them in there until the leaves die down next spring. Then well, you can, they've been there three or four years. I can leave them. <laughs> well, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, once when the leaves die down, you know they, they they don't you know they don't even know what's happening. So okay. You can, one other real short question. Let you go. I've got a satsuma tree out there. This old old fashioned satsuma sounds, and it has put out a sprout on the bottom of the thing, unbeknownst to me, and uh, below the graft, and it's got some kind of. It's probably a trifoliate, I guess, but it's a, it's an orange looking. It's like an orange, except it's still yellow, about the size of a small orange. Yeah, it's fuzzy. Kind of, uh, no. kind of furry. No, it looks just like an orange. It looks like a lemon. The color is about like a lemon because it's going to change color again. Oh, again. I know what it is. Uh, a lot of the rootstock, a lot of uh, fruit plants are grafted. Most of them are grafted either onto a trifoliate orange or on this. There's a, they came up with a hybrid uh, back a hundred years or so ago between a grapefruit and this trifoliate orange. It's right. called. Uh, it's called a what is it? It's such a weird name. Something. I'm just drawing a total blank, but uh, no, oh, don't cit- worry about oh that. I don't know. It's called Citrumello, Citrumello, and it has three leaflets, but it's got uh, what looks like a lemon type of fruit. Right. Well, let me ask you this: if if it's edible, uh, I guess you just go one up and see what it tastes like. Huh? Well, I can tell you what it tastes like because I've done. First of all, it's real, real sticky. It's the kind of stuff where you can't pull your fingers apart. It's so sticky. You know really? the, the white stuff. You got the, the the you got the skin. You got that white stuff. And then you got the flesh. That white stuff is sticky like like super glue. Right. But the the flesh itself, if you can get to it without boogering your fingers up, it tastes like grapefruit. Oh really? Yeah. All right. Now, can I take those seeds and grow them from seeds that have that same thing and graft onto that? Do you use it for yeah, root stock? Yes, you can. But when you're growing something from seed, it may take five, six, seven years before it reaches fruiting maturity. Oh, hell, I'm 80 years old. I can't wait that long. <laughs> Stick with the satsuma, man. Just have fun. I got plenty of other stuff growing around here. I got satsuma with lemons and well, grapefruit and everything else. But anyway, well that, I, that, I, I, I just was curious if that would, you could actually use that for rootstock. Yeah, well, it's called citrumello. Citrumello. All right, man, I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, appreciate it. Thank you. I, do we have time to take this call? We're at the end of our program. Uh, Sue calling for Beaumont. Sue, we're just about out of time. What's up, lady? I have two jalapeno plants in, in pots out on a carport. They mm. produced all summer, but they, their leaves turned yellow, and so I'm not, I was going to pull them up and throw them away yesterday, and someone suggested just kind of keep them inside. Will they do are, they, are, they, are, are they altheas? No, no, uh, jalapeno pepper plants. Oh, 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 jalapeno. You can bring, if you put them in a sunny window, then they'll do okay. But you know, they're really better to, to, to just plant some more next year. Uh, but th- to answer your question, you can keep a pepper alive for a long time, years, as long as it gets sunshine in the wintertime. 
So anyway, appreciate that. Folks, I spent this past week working up a flower bed. It's about three feet by about five feet. And I put all sorts. I made me a little English-type garden with a little pointy shrub and a roundy shrub and uh, some irises and some some uh, snapdragons and dianthus. It's just a cute little thing. It didn't take me long at all. And when I look at it, it makes me want to bake me some sweet biscuits and call them scones. Anyway, if there's some things that uh, you can can uh, help me with during the week, if I miss some stuff up, shoot me an email. But otherwise, we're going to take a week-long break. We'll come back same time, same place here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting and talk about gardening. If you get a chance, take a kid to a farmer's market or a garden center and teach them how to get dirty.